Today we're going to give an overview of the first five books of the Bible. And of course, those are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, those five books hold a special place um, in the Scripture. They hold a special place, especially in uh, Judaism and the Hebrew religion. And I've read just about every book on the Pentateuch, uh, preparing for this that I could in every section and uh, study books. And there's just so much information there. I kind of had to pick and choose, choose what to include. Some things we will you know, talk about more in depth today than others. Some I've just put some information in there to... Uh, let you take that and just kind of read over that yourself. But to introduce what is called the Pentateuch, uh, that's the name given to the first five books of the Christian Bible. Uh, and the name is taken from a combination of Penta and Tukos, which means five Pentas and Pentagon, uh, five books or scrolls. Uh, so we have these five books that are set at the beginning of our Bible and also set at the beginning of the Hebrew Bible. We talked about the Hebrew Bible. When, you, when the Jews approached the first five books of the Bible, they would probably more than likely use not the name Pentateuch, but the name Torah. Uh, so when you hear a Jew talk about Torah, they're talking about the first five books of the Bible. Torah has come to mean teaching or instruction. Um, and there are many other names for the first five books of the Bible as referred to uh, by Christians, by Jews, and in Scripture. Some of those names uh, for the first five books of the Bible are called the books of Moses, uh, the book of the law uh, that emphasizes the covenant features of the law. Uh, sometimes it's just referred to simply as the law, the law of Moses, or simply Moses, as it's referred to in Luke 16, 29, when it's referred to as Moses and the prophets. That's referring to the first five books of the Bible. So if you hear the word Pentateuch, if you hear the word Torah, if you hear the word the, the books of Moses, the books of the law, uh, the law of Moses, or simply the phrase Moses and the prophets, it's all speaking of the first five books of the Bible. So what, is, what are in these first five books of the Bible? Well, the nature and the content of the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch begins with the events that cover the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, the creation of the world, and ends with the death of Moses as the children of Israel are on the brink of the promised land. And that covers uh, over 2,000 years of history from the creation of Adam and Eve going to the death of Moses. Uh, also in this, it's mainly dealing with the the history of Israel. Now, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I call it the wide scope. It's the creation of the world. It's uh, Adam and Eve. It's you know, the first humanity, the building of cities. It's, the, the, it's the, the universal flood. It's the Tower of Babel and the spreading of the nations. And it's this really wide picture of what the Jews recorded as the beginning of civilized history. And then in Genesis chapter 12, the focus goes from something really wide to something very narrow and specific. Uh, the Bible ceases to be a history book of the world or tell the story of the world. And it zooms in in Genesis chapter 12 on a man named Abram. 
And for the rest of the scriptures, the scriptures are only concerned with this man, Abram, and his family, which would eventually become a nation called Israel. And that would be the story of the rest of the Old Testament and going into the New Testament as we see Jesus, who was a descendant, a seed of Abraham, dealing with him. So we go from this Genesis 1-11, through this cosmology of the beginnings of the world and humanity, down to this story of this one man and this one family and this one nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or what we would call the, the patriarchs. Uh, then you have Moses stepping on the scene in Exodus. So the five books contain uh, God's revelation uh, about the origin of the world, its emphasis on creation, uh, the creation of man who was made in the image of God. It focuses uh, on sin, how sin entered into the world and the effects of sin and the judgment that was to follow. And then we move again to the origin of the nation of Israel and its special covenant with God. Uh, Though the Pentateuch is presented as five distinct books, the writings tell one continuous narrative of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis, and Moses in Exodus through Deuteronomy. Would Moses kind of be in the central figure, as you can tell by the references back to Moses and the law of Moses and the books of Moses? So all of the action is centered from chapter 12 of Genesis onward, on Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph at the end, and then Moses in Exodus through Deuteronomy leading up to his death. Uh, the Pentateuch was the first divinely prompted literary collection acknowledged as Scripture in the Hebrew community. So from early times, these writings were seen as authoritative by Israel. They were seen as divine teaching and divine instruction that was given by God through or to them based on this covenant that God would have with Israel. Um, it's according to the Jews, it's the most important division of the Hebrew canon. It always stands first. When you talk about the Hebrew Bible, you talk about the law, the prophets, and the writings. You talk about the law first. You talk about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So therefore, because it's authoritative, because it's the foundation of the rest of the Old Testament, uh, it greatly influences the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament, uh, the majority of it, flows back to these first five books. And then even going into the New Testament, we see a great influence of these first five books of the Bible on the New Testament. So the Pentateuch is a book of origins. Genesis is not just a book of origins. The Pentateuch is a book or the five books of origins. And here we have on our paper three origins that the Pentateuch tells us about. First of all, it tells us about the origin of creation and world history, which takes place in Genesis 1 through 11. And then in chapter 2, it tells us about the origins of the Jewish patriarchs and people. How God calls Abram and says, I'm going to make a family out of you and I'm going to make a nation out of you. So we see the origins of the patriarchs and the people of Israel in Genesis 12 through 50. And then the third origin is the origin of the Jewish nation as an official nation and people that are governed by laws and are called out as a special people. And that takes place in Exodus through 
Deuteronomy. So when you're reading the Pentateuch, you're reading all these origins about the world, about uh, Abram and the patriarchs, and then about Moses and the Jewish nation. So that's some of the content you'll find here in these first five books of the Bible. As we mentioned the last time we were together, the Bible is made up of a lot of different literature and a lot of different writings, and you'll find uh, different literature and writings scattered throughout the uh, Pentateuch. If you remember when we were together a couple weeks ago, uh, we said that when you start in Genesis, Genesis is an easy read. You can kind of read through Genesis. It tells a nice story, uh, you know, going through the first, you know, 20 chapters, the first half of the book of Exodus. That's a pretty good read. And then you kind of get into a lot of details later on in Exodus. And then you go into Leviticus and you're like, this isn't as easy as Genesis was as a read. Uh, you go through Leviticus and then you pick up uh, you know, some more narrative in uh, Numbers and then you go into Deuteronomy and it's like you're kind of back in Exodus, Leviticus again. Uh, and that's because in the scriptures there are several different uh, genres of writing. And you see five of those that are listed there. There is uh, historical narrative, the stories based on history that are being told in Genesis in the first part of, of Exodus. Scattered throughout, you'll find genealogies. And genealogies are interspersed in different places uh, in Genesis and Exodus. And then in Exodus, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, uh, you'll find uh, law. You'll find all of these laws, these civil laws, these ceremonial laws. You'll find descriptions about the tabernacle and the priest and what the priests are supposed to wear uh, and sacrifices and feast days. And you'll find all of, of these issues that deal with law coming out of uh, the Pentateuch. Then in Deuteronomy is really Moses retelling the law and giving sermons and uh, expositions. And then interspersed there are some poetry, the Song of Moses in Exodus uh, 15 and, and some poetic type writing that we find in uh, the Pentateuch as well. So look for some of those as you're reading. Just look for some of those different types of literature as you're reading the Pentateuch. Um, number three on that list, law is what this next section is. And I won't read all of this in the next section because we'll talk about it more when we get to um, Exodus. But we talked about in the setting a couple of weeks ago the world that this scripture was written in and written about. The ancient Near East world. We talked about all the different nations going back to Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt and, and all of these nations that had their own God and uh, they worshiped their own God, and they had their own sacrifices, and many of them even had their own laws. So what, when, you, when you read the law in the Pentateuch, you're not reading something that's just unique to Israel. You're reading something that was very common. Uh, the longer that we've lived and the more we've discovered, we've discovered ancient civilizations that had ancient laws that were in some ways comparable to what is written in the Pentateuch. In some ways, the Pentateuch is distinguished from many of those ancient laws. You find, you find different characteristics in the Pentateuch as, as presented in the Hebrew Bible outside of these other ancient laws. There's, there's a higher sense of morality, even though we today and the critics of Christianity and the critics of the Bible would look at those laws 
and say these laws are very archaic. You know, we've moved beyond a lot of the things in the laws. They don't make sense. Uh, a lot of those things were even higher in morality than even the neighboring nations in the ancient Near East at the time. But what we look at as we go to the back of the first page is the law is given as part of a covenant that God made with Israel. And the covenant that God made with Israel here is an ancient form of a covenant. And again, it's very similar to what you find in other nations where two groups of people would come together and they would make an agreement. They would make a contract and they would make a covenant. The covenant that we find here in the Pentateuch is what's called a suzerain covenant. You have this word suzerain, which I wasn't familiar with, but a suzerain means somebody who is of high power, high authority, and high stature. It would be like you know, the president, the king, somebody that was in a place of authority. And then you would have what would be seen as the weaker people that were called vassals, and they needed the help of this king. It may be a small nation who was the neighbor of a large nation. And the neighbor of a large nation, his leader would go to this weaker nation and say, I will protect you, I will give you provisions, I will provide for you, but in order for me to do that, you have to agree to meet certain requirements and certain stipulations. And if you meet the certain requirements and, and stipulations, I will do my part. If you do your part, I will do my part. I'll protect you. I'll provide you what you need. But if you break the stipulations, then judgment will come. Then bad things will happen. And this is what the law of Moses was based on, this suzerain covenant where you have God, who is obviously the supreme authority, and you have Moses and Israel, who are the vassals, and God says, I will be your God, you will be my people, but there are certain stipulations that you must meet. And he gives them 600 plus laws that they must meet. And if they keep them, they would walk in prosperity. They would be protected from their enemies. God would bless them. But if they broke the stipulations, then they would suffer the consequences. So if they did their part, God would do his part. If they didn't do their part, then God would enforce the curses of the covenant. So with these uh, suzerain vassal covenants, you had blessings and curses. You find that in Deuteronomy 27, 28. You have the blessings of the law and the curses of the law. So this is very common in the ancient days back then. So that's the, the covenant that God made with them that we find here in the law. And you see here in the numbers 1 through 7 on the back, uh, these, this is how treaties, and this is how contracts and covenants were laid out in those days. Uh, and you find those elements in the giving of the law in Exodus and also in the retelling of the law uh, over in Deuteronomy. Um, so that just gives you a little background on what you're reading here in the law. It may seem different to us, but it was very common back then in the ancient Near East. Um, so I just want to throw that out there. We'll talk more about that when we get into Exodus. Uh, looking at the five books of the Pentateuch, here you have a basic outline of the five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Each shows you the theme. The theme of Genesis is a book of beginnings. Uh, over 2,000 years elapsed in Genesis, the outline, the beginning of history, and the patriarchs, the two major divisions of Genesis there. In Exodus, you find the theme of Exodus being redemption and deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. Exodus starts with the story, you know, of, of Moses and his birth and then the 
exodus out of the hand of Egypt. That covers a time of about 80 years that we find there in the book of Exodus. Uh, The book of Leviticus, uh, the theme is atonement and holiness. How is Israel going to be God's holy set-apart people on the earth? Uh, The time of Leviticus is about one month in historical time there. Uh, the book of Numbers, the theme is the wilderness wandering. We find all the, the scenes of Israel wandering for 40 years in the wilderness here in the book of Numbers. And then in Deuteronomy, the theme is the covenant renewal, the renewal of the Mosaic covenant, where Moses before his death is giving again the law to the people of Israel. Uh, and then, of course, we have the death of Moses at the end, so Deuteronomy covers about one month. So you see, you can see kind of what's taking place from Deuteronomy, the whole book being about one month, uh, versus Genesis, which covers 2,000 years of history. Uh, so just some interesting facts here about the books as, as we go through them and as you look at the books of the Pentateuch. All right, let's move to our third page. Third page. The authorship, who wrote the Pentateuch? When we studied the epistles, um, it was pretty easy to figure out who wrote the book. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the church at Ephesus. Uh, James to you know, the tribe scattered abroad. And usually there's when you have a, an epistle, you have here's who wrote it, here's who it was written to. You have that introduction. Well, we don't really have that in the Pentateuch Scripture. For on the surface, the Pentateuch does not ascribe its own author. It doesn't begin with, Moses wrote these words, in the beginning God created. We don't have that introduction. So we rely on several different factors on determining who wrote these first five books. Uh, First of all, what how has these first five books been viewed throughout the Jewish tradition and history? What do the books testify themselves about who wrote them? Are there any clues about who wrote the books in the text itself? Uh, what do other parts of the Old Testament and the New Testament say about that? Uh, what does the text tell us? So there's different ways and there's been different views. And the subject of who wrote the Pentateuch Uh, has been discussed and disagreed upon for many, many years. The opinions range from Moses is the sole, original, and lone author, and he wrote every word as God revealed it to him, uh, including the story about his own death, to the other extreme that says Moses had nothing at all to do with the writing of the Pentateuch, It was all written many, many, many years later, and he had nothing to do with it. So you had those two extremes that, you know, Moses wrote every word divinely given to him, or Moses had nothing to do with it, and it was written many, many years after his uh, death and after the events that happened. And then you have some in between. So there are two major views of who wrote it that I want to present to you today. The first view is what we call the traditionalist view. And the traditionalist view of the authorship of the Pentateuch is that Moses is its sole author, that Moses is the one responsible for the Pentateuch. 
Now, we know Moses couldn't have written everything in real time in the Pentateuch because the first 11 chapters of Genesis uh, happened over 2,000 years. And Moses was born about, about uh, 600 years after Abraham. Uh, Abraham died. So you have this extended period of time. So obviously what happens here is, you know, you have a couple of options. You have divine revelation that God dictated. Here's what happened in creation. Here's what happened in Abraham and Moses. Uh, that's a possibility. That's a supernatural possibility. You also have other oral traditions, oral stories that were passed down. Stories that were passed down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about what happened. And these were passed down and then you know, Moses took that and he wrote down this history of the nation of Israel. Uh, or there could have been uh, written history that was passed down that Moses wrote. Um, so saying that Moses is the sole author responsible for the Pentateuch I put here, it doesn't necessarily mean that Moses wrote every word or every sentence, nor that he even created the final draft as we have here. Uh, that could have been done later. But it means that Moses was the leader and chronicler of the events from the Exodus until just before the children of Israel entered the promised land. That a lot of the writing that you see came from Moses. That's the traditional view. And it's a, tra a traditional view for several reasons. First of all, because the Pentateuch stated that Moses wrote things down that are in these books. Now, I've got some scriptures here for you, but I want to just read some of those to you. Exodus 17, 14 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the heaven. So in Exodus 17, 14, the Lord says to Moses, Write this on a scroll to be remembered. So we know Moses wrote things. In Exodus 24, verse 4, it says, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. So we know from Exodus 24 that Moses wrote down what the Lord said. Exodus 34, 27 then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So we know, first of all, that the Pentateuch states that Moses wrote down laws and events and things that are in the Pentateuch. There's no debate that that's what Exodus says. Also in the rest of the Old Testament, number two is we have the witness of the rest of the Old Testament. In Joshua 1.8, uh, even from the time of Joshua, it says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. So Joshua's told to keep this book of the law, to say that this was written down, and it was passed as early to, as to Joshua. It's that this law was written down. In Joshua chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, what was written in the book of the law. So right from, from right after these events happened, there was a book of the law of Moses. In 1 Kings, uh, in 2 Kings, in Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel refers to the law of Moses and the book of Moses. So those who wrote the other books in the Old Testament, they attributed this book as the book of Moses, as the law of Moses assumingly that it came from Moses. In Malachi 4.4, 4, it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. So God 
gave Moses these laws. So the Pentateuch states Moses wrote down things containing the book. The witness of the Old Testament seems to affirm that Moses wrote these things. And number three, the New Testament also affirms this. In the New Testament, Matthew 19, 18, Jesus says to the Pharisees that Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. So he attributes the words of the law to Moses permitted. In John chapter 5, 45 and 47, Jesus says, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Listen to what Jesus says. For he wrote about me. For Moses wrote about me. So obviously, Jesus affirmed that Moses wrote Pentateuch. Um, then in John 79, has not Moses given you the law? Acts 3.22, for Moses said. Romans 10.5, Moses writes about the righteousness given of the law. And Mark 12.26, in the book of Moses. So we have a threefold witness, the Pentateuch itself, the other Old Testament and the New Testament, accredits Moses with these first five books of the Bible. So therefore, the traditionalist view and the Jews held that these came from Moses, that Moses was the main, that Moses wrote down what God told him, that Moses was the chronicler of maybe oral traditions and stories or writings that were passed down, and all these were put together. However, then there are also those, like I mentioned on the other side, that believe maybe not everything was written by Moses, or that maybe Moses didn't write anything at all. And this is a critical theory of who wrote the um, Pentateuch, and it's called the Documentary Hypothesis. And the Documentary Hypothesis basically says that there are four major sources of all of these stories, of all of these laws, of all of these writings. There are four major sources. And somebody, probably not Moses, but somebody took these four sources and put them together and combined them into one cohesive story and presented it as the books of Moses. And this is what's called, as here, known as the J-E-D-P theory. And it's basically divided upon, or it was starting, it started as dividing upon the names used for God. People that read the Old Testament, that read the Pentateuch, noticed that in certain large sections of the Pentateuch, a certain name for God was used. Then you'd go to the next section, and another totally different name for God was used. I want to show you an example. Uh, go to Genesis 1. If you have your Bible real quick, go to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we find the name God many, many times in the book of Genesis. Or in the first chapter of Genesis. And it starts with verse number 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, in verse 3, you have, And God said, Let there be light. And verse 5, 6, almost every verse in Genesis 1 has the name God in it. Well, the Hebrew name, we know the Bible is not originally written in English. Uh, so when we see the word God there, in the Hebrew, it's the word Elohim. That was the, that's the name in Genesis 1 that is used for God, Elohim. Elohim is the letter E in the J-E-D-P. So people say, well, there's this, there's this, there are these writings that 
always refers to God as Elohim, the letter E. Now if you go over to Genesis chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, we find this interesting. Now, we may not notice this because we just read it, but other people have noticed. When you go down, to, of course, chapter 2 begins um, with the heavens and earth being finished and God resting. And in verse number 4, we have this writing. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now we, now we would read over that and not think anything about it. But the word Lord there, the word Lord God, that's a different name than what's used in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 2, 3, and 4, you find the word Lord. And that's the word Yahweh, or the word Jehovah. It's four Hebrew letters, and it's the personal name of God. You have this name Yahweh, which in Genesis chapter 2, you know, Yahweh, the name Yahweh wasn't revealed until later on as well. So in Genesis chapter 1, you have Elohim, 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 Elohim. In Genesis chapter 2, you switch to Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. And so in all these places, you have the Lord God. You have, you know, the Lord God. In verse 15, the Lord God. And you have that in 3 and 4. And then when you get to chapter 5, you have this is the book of the generations of Adam. That's, these almost read like a new beginning. In Genesis 1, you have in the beginning God created. Genesis 2, 4, these are the generations of the heavens and earth. So it seems like, okay, we're, this is another beginning. In chapter 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And it says, when God created man. So now we're back to what we used before. So people started picking up on that and they say, well, wait a minute. Okay, we have this account in Genesis 1 that uses the name Elohim. Then in Genesis 2, it seems like it starts a new section, but we have a totally different name. And that's used for a few chapters. And then we go back to another name when it lists the genealogies. So they say, well, maybe one person didn't write all this. One person could have compiled it, but these were taken from different writings. Um, and that began this theory of looking into how this is put together. Then they began to see other scriptures that began to be out of place. Um, if you notice in our uh, third paragraph where it says another factor in the JEDP theory, are some of the remarks seem to indicate that the writing was much later than the events that happened. And I list four scriptures here, Genesis 12, 6, 22, 14, 36, 31, and Deuteronomy 2. Let me read a couple of those to you. In Genesis 12, 6, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And then it says, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And people look at that and says, wait a minute, at that time, Canaanites were in the land. And they say, well, that seems to indicate that at the time of the writing, the Canaanites were not in the land. Well, that happened in Joshua after the conquest. So look back at that and say, well, that is a weird phrase. Okay. And then you go to Genesis 22, 14. And it says, so Abraham called to the place the Lord will provide and to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will provide. And they say, well, that's a little unusual wording, too, because it seems to look back very far to this day the Lord will provide. Then in Genesis 36, 31, it says, These were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. 
So you have Genesis 36 saying, These were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. How would Moses know about Israelite kings? He lived way before there were any Israelite kings. How would he know and make the statement before any kings reigned in Israel? So that doesn't seem to fit this time. It seems to fit something later. And then in Deuteronomy 2, it says, The Horites used to live in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out. They destroyed the Horites from before them and settled in their place, just as Israel did in the land that the Lord gave them as their possession. So it's talking about the descendants of Esau drove out the Horites, just as Israel did when they took possession of the land. Well, the possession of land hadn't happened yet until Joshua. So how can you write about something and make a historical fact of something that hasn't happened yet? So people look at all this and they say, well, maybe there's more to this. You know, maybe there were these different sources that were put together. Maybe there was some writing that happened later that was stuck in the, the Pentateuch. And, and then you get in this jumbled stuff about what is this, who, who wrote it, when was it written, because there seems to be uh, this, this factor. So I give a conclusion here. So the conclusion is Moses probably didn't sit down on a Saturday afternoon and say, let me write these five books of the Bible out. Him and God had a conversation, and they wrote this nice, cohesive five-book story, and he wrapped it up and said, all right, here's, here's what it is. It probably didn't happen like that. But yet it probably didn't happen that Moses had nothing to do with it. I mean, I think from the, all the evidence, Moses had a lot to do with the writing of the Pentateuch. So what you have here is you probably have Moses writing a lot of stuff. He wrote the laws. He wrote what God told him. He probably wrote down some oral history that was passed down. He may have had some other documents, and he put them together. And then Moses dies in the end of Deuteronomy. And then you have the death of Moses recorded. So obviously, probably more than likely, obviously, probably more than likely, isn't that good? Obviously, probably more than likely, Moses didn't write about his own death. So maybe Joshua or somebody else filled in the story about his death. And then maybe as time went on, maybe there were some things that were added to the story to make it more cohesive, to make it more of a narrative. Maybe Ezra wrote some things and added some things in there from looking at, you know, back after the time, after the kings had reigned. And then eventually, with Moses' writings and Moses, what he chronicled together and what Joshua and them added to the story and what maybe other biblical historians like Ezra or Nehemiah you know, added to this story. Eventually, Israel got these five books that tell one story that are cohesive, that are poetic, that take all these different literatures and, and histories and writings and, and have put them together to form what we call the Pentateuch. So I always like to say, and I always try to live this way in my own life, always stay in the middle of the road. Because of, on this far end is a ditch, and on that far end is a ditch, and you don't want to fall in either ditch. Uh, and so the extremes are probably not good. And we level-headedly look at what we have. We look at history. We look at the possibilities and put together. So in conclusion, I have this on the end of the paper. It is not impossible to believe that the majority of the Pentateuch could have indeed been written or compiled by Moses. I believe that the majority of the Pentateuch was written and compiled by Moses. He's the central figure of the story. Pentateuch says he wrote down things. The Old Testament says, Jewish tradition says, Jesus himself attributes the writing. 
So it's definitely not impossible. It's very, very probable to believe Moses, uh, the majority of the Pentateuch was written or compiled by Moses. If there were any future editors who added to or modified the works of Moses, then I believe, and the evangelical view is that all Scripture is inspired by God. So if Ezra or Nehemiah or Joshua, if they added to, you know, if they, if they made it nice, neat, and tidy and put it out there, then it would have been inspired by the same Holy Spirit that inspired all of Scripture. Any change made by Joshua, Samuel, Ezra, or anybody else was prompted by the Holy Spirit and conveyed exactly what he intended. So I said all that to say, don't get shaken up by, but why do I mention I mention that because it's out there. I mention that because when, when my kids Google, go on Google and Google the Pentateuch, they're going to see, well, I would, Daddy taught me my whole life that Moses wrote it, and now other people in colleges are saying he didn't write it. You know, in fact, I had an issue this week, not an issue, but Alexa came, and I'm always inquisitive about my kids' Bible class because they go to a Bible class, uh, you know, at CCS. And, you know, she, she comes in, she gets in the car, and we're talking about because she was supposed to have a quiz, and they were talking about, one of the scriptures was Genesis 2-7. The Lord God created man, formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And she said, Daddy, did God really breathe into Adam's nose? It says it's breathed into his nostrils. She's like, that's kind of weird and gross. <laughs> and, and for her, and she's my inquisitive girl. She's like me. She doesn't just take things at face value. You know, if something doesn't make sense to her, she'll be like, that really doesn't make sense, or that, that's kind of weird, or I don't know about that. You know, and so she's the one that... You know, and, and I flat out told her, I was like, you know, I said, that scripture tells us that God created man and God gave him life. Did God literally come down and breathe into Adam's nose? I don't know. You know, or is that just a very, is that a kind of a poetic way of saying he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life? Is that just a poetic way of saying that God gave him life? I said, so I don't necessarily know if that's a video snapshot that God came down and breathed into his nose. Because, yeah, that would be kind of weird. Or God gave him mouth to mouth resuscitation. But it's a literature, the, the writing is literature, and it's a literary way of saying that God gave man life. It doesn't take away from the fact that God gave us life, but it means that if God didn't come down and breathe into his nose, you know, then it makes it false. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, but you find your kids, your grandkids, they go on Google and they see this critical stuff about the Bible, and they're taken back by it. That's why we're reading the Bible for grown-ups. You know, for adults, because we're looking at it from, you know, that perspective. So, the authorship of Moses. Our final section today that we'll just, most of us are familiar with this, but our final section are the major themes. You won't take time to read through all of these. I'll let you read through it. So, what are some of the major themes in the Pentateuch? Uh, the nature of God. The nature of God is expressed in His attributes and His names. We find the attributes of God um, which God is holy, God is sovereign over his creation, he's powerful in his acts, he's wrathful in his judgment, he's compassionate in his mercy. We find the attributes of God. Uh, we find God revealed in his names. We've talked about two of those names, Elohim, uh, Yahweh, or Jehovah. Uh, so, some people you'll see the name Yahweh. Some people you'll see the name Jehovah. It's just the way the letters are. Uh, you're more academic, say Yahweh. You're more... Evangelical may say Jehovah, um, but that's why you have those two there because there's only um, what yod. Why I don't don't worry about all that. 
<laughs> I was, was going to start giving you Hebrew letters. I'm not going to do that at all. Anyway, the names of God. Uh, Adonai, uh, El Elyon, El Shaddai, among many others uh, that are, but we see the nature of God revealed in those. We see God is the creator. God is the creator of heaven and earth. God is the creator of mankind. And God is the creator of Israel, the father of Israel. So we see God as creator. The fall and the promise of redemption. We see uh, the Pentateuch showing the sinful nature of mankind is seen as originating in the fall of Adam. So we see Adam's fall, which brought death uh, and separation from God. And then we see the plan of redemption begin to take shape in Genesis 3.15, where God promises a uh, redeemer. Uh, then we see God redeeming Israel in the story of the Exodus. So God is seen as creator. He's also seen as redeemer. Then we have covenants. We have covenants in uh, the Pentateuch, there are three major covenants. There's the covenant God made with Noah, and that was a covenant basically with creation that God would never destroy or that ne- God would never destroy and flood the earth again. Then we have the covenant God made with Abraham, and that was God's relationship with the whole world, that through you all nations of the earth would be blessed. And then we have the Sinai covenant or the Mosaic covenant or the Old Covenant, the law, and that's God's relationship with Israel. So we see three covenants here. Uh, we see the theme of the chosen people, that Israelites believe that they are God's chosen people based on their covenant, that God would deliver them, provide for them, protect for them, protect them, and would favor them, and that they would be chosen as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And through them, they would be a channel of blessing to the whole world. Uh, the faith of Abraham becomes a theme, especially when you get into uh, Romans and Galatians. Uh, Abraham is called the father of faith. He's seen as one who believed God. And when he believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. He didn't have a law to keep. It wasn't by the commandments of God that he was made righteous. It was by his faith he was made righteous. Uh, then you have the theme of the land. There's a big deal about the land all in the Old Testament. They still fight about the land today. Uh, But the whole Pentateuch sets us up and brings us to the promised land where God promises Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 and 7. So the story of the Pentateuch is about moving toward Canaan. Genesis gives you the promise of the land. Exodus through Deuteronomy prepares them to enter the land. And also also note here that the Garden of Eden possibly anticipates the promised land. uh, For God had a garden prepared for Adam and Eve, and put them there, but they disobeyed and they were exiled from the garden. Almost seems to foreshadow the story of Israel, how God had a promised land for them, they entered the promised land, but they disobeyed and they were exiled from the promised land. There seems to be some interesting parallels there as well. Then you have the law and the old covenant that God gave to them in Mount Sinai to govern them as a nation. The law came with blessings and curses, as we already talked about. Uh, The law was God's gift to them, but would ultimately lead to their exile and their need for a new covenant. Then there's the priesthood and the sacrifices. The idea of sacrifice begins in Genesis, but formalized for Israel in the law. Uh, And again, sacrifices during that time were not unusual. Uh, Nations sacrificed to their gods, regular. So this is, again, sacrifice is not a new uh, deal here for Israel. Uh, But ultimately, these sacrifices led to atonement for sins, which ultimately led to Christ. And then we have the tabernacle, which the priests used for daily sacrifice, cleansing, and offering. 
But the tabernacle also symbolized God's divine presence. And God's divine presence would be a major theme in the Pentateuch and beyond.